Hi, I'm Gail. And hi, I'm Catherine. Welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined, our weekly podcast. Our signature is sharing stories of vital women between the ages of 70 to 100 plus who shatter the myth that we become irrelevant as we age. Be sure to visit womenover70.com, make a donation, join Aging Reimagined Circle, and visit the Books for Women section. Invite us to conduct a workshop or speak to your organization. We share relevant clips from podcast guests, and we offer numerous programs to enrich women's lives. And today we're excited to welcome Marsha Whitney Skenk to Women Over 70 Aging Reimagined. Marsha is 71, and she's a multimedia artist whose specialty is the fusion of art and spirituality. She was referred to us by Ingrid Albrecht, episode 133. Marsha originally worked in journalism with a degree from Washington State University and was hired to do public relations. She's the author of an historical novel, Triptych, which you will hear more about during our conversation. Marsha came to Chicago in 1980. From 1993 to 2001, she was publisher and editor of Christianity in the Arts magazine. When her husband, a hand surgeon, retired, they spent nine months in northern Cameroon, the Democratic Republic of the Congo, and Uganda, where Marsha taught English. Since 2008, she has devoted herself to art. Her show, Communion of Saints, may be seen at the Catholic Theological Union in Chicago. Marsha, let's start the conversation this way. What does art do for you? You know, I, I know that you believe we tap into our creative selves through art and writing. And I'm curious to know, what do you mean by that? Well, thank you, Gail and Catherine, for having me. And when I pondered that question, I thought, how can I nail it down? Because it sounds so nebulous. And I kept coming up with the word creativity. And I firmly believe that all of us have a creative spirit inside us whether we are bus drivers or mechanics or doctors, we can approach life in a very creative way. And to me, that's the kernel of essence of being human. So in doing art or writing, you're tapping into something very, very deep, your emotions, your expressions, something that maybe can't be otherwise verbalized. But it doesn't even have to be as deep as that because a lot of people will say, well, I'm not an artist. I'm not a writer. I can't do any of that. But just the way that we approach life can add so much dignity to who and what we are. And I believe that the seed of all that is creativity. Wow, that's, that's a terrific explanation and, and one I haven't heard quite said that way. So you, this African experience, I'm very interested in that. Nine months. And, and so tell us, did, did the did, tell us more about the experience, and did it shift your perspective in any way? Well, it certainly did. Uh, you know, my husband was a hand surgeon his entire life, and when you are so married to your profession, then to suddenly stop it can be quite traumatic. And he didn't stop his profession until he was 77 years old, uh, so he certainly did work a long, long time, but wasn't quite ready to just say that's it. So we sent out feelers, uh, and it is amazing that people who know people who know people can open up doors, sometimes, but not always. But in this case, 
we got invitations from three different hospitals for Bob to teach uh, advanced surgeons uh, in the practices of hand surgery. So that left me thinking, well, what am I going to do? And since I've always been language-based, I decided that I would get my credentials to teach English as a second language. Mm -hmm. So when I went to Northern Cameroon, I worked with sixth graders. I had never worked with young people before. And so my first idea is, what can I do to bring this creative spirit? And I created oh, about 50 different um, blank books with African motifs. And I had the students create poems, um, little songs, essays, whatever. And I laboriously copied all of them and made a book for each of them. But then I also had painted a scenery of Noah's Ark and I brought a lot of puppets and I thought, well, Noah's kind of bored. These little animals are telling stories. Maybe I could have the kids write stories about the animals and then pre perform with the puppets. So that was something that I sort of brought into the picture. Um, but beyond just the teaching experience, I think living in a foreign country, especially one that is not as uh, prosperous as ours, and I say that with quotes because I know a lot of people say we're not prosperous at all. But if you compare our country to something like the Democratic Republic of the Congo, there is no doubt that we are prosperous. And it certainly changes your ideas about possessions. When I came back, I went in the grocery store and there's what, 50 different brands of breakfast food? I thought, really? Do we need 50 different brands? Because for the people in Congo, their life is so simple in terms of what they eat. They don't have that variety. And that uh, came home to me very quickly. When we got off the plane, the administrator of the hospital met us and it was Easter. And so I just was trying to banter a little bit, you know, what do people prepare for Easter? And he looked at me and he said, people are just trying to get enough to eat. So, yeah, it, um, it, I don't know how much we did for the people in Africa, but they certainly taught us a lot. Mm -hmm. I, yes, I can imagine. And, and what other things, kinds of things did you notice that, that um, about your life here and your life there? I, I find that fascinating. Well, they have a different concept of family, which I really rejoice. We often think of uh, husband, wife, two kids, and that's it. And I don't have children myself. Um, and I really haven't been included in the lives of my nieces and nephews. They're in different, different states. There's a distance factor and all that sort of thing. But the Africans are so good in including everybody into the family unit. For example, maybe because my name was kind of hard, I was always called auntie. <laughs> so I was an an aunt, basically, <laughs> in their lives. I had just been absorbed into their family unit. And so if the mother and father are busy doing this or that, the uh, uncle, the aunt, the cousin, you know, they're all important part of the family unit. And I think we have so much to learn from that, that uh, it's just too much for um, <clears throat> a mother and a father to raise kids themselves. There are relatives or non-relatives it would just be thrilled to be asked that if they could participate in some sort of meaningful way. Mm -hmm. So that certainly was a big message that brought home for me. 
and also the immediacy of their experience and their freedom in expressing their spirituality. In fact, a bishop told me that he felt the most spiritual people in the world are in Africa. Now, it may not necessarily be Christian. It may be some kind of beliefs with paganism that we would call paganism. But there is a spiritual sense that is it is just amazing because they will greet you. Hello. How are you? God is good. And then immediately you're expected to respond and all the time, just like we would say, hi, how are you? Have a good day. They did not feel embarrassed about talking about their spiritual beliefs, just incorporating it right in to the daily um, dialogue of life. Well, we might say, oh, gosh, we better not mention this because we might embarrass somebody or, you know, they might criticize me if I say something spiritual. Um, I just really loved that experience. Uh -huh. where there was no division between spirituality and world concerns. That's very fascinating. And, and um, you know, everything you do has spirituality attached to it. And so this show of yours, The Communion of Saint, tell us about that. Yeah, so there's lots of artists out there, brilliant, brilliant artists. And when you look at what they're doing, there are portrait artists, there's landscape artists, there's still life artists. I, coming to the artistic field rather late in life, uh, I would have presumed that I could add to that conversation. But I thought to myself, what could I do that might be just slightly unique? And um, as Catholic, I'm interested in trying to bring the faith into my life. And in one way is art. And I became interested in that concept of communion of saints. Now for Catholics, that means that the holy ones that have gone before us are still part of our lives. They're not dead and gone. Now the Protestants also will um, regard holy ones in their lives and other faith traditions too. But in the Catholic tradition, it is the idea that you can pray to St. Lucy, whose eyes were gouged out because you yourself are having eye problems. And so you might retort, why would you uh, pray to an underling when you can go to the top? <laughs> but, but there's something about a human being that has experienced the same aggravations that we're experiencing and yet has overcome it in some sort of way that I find really restorative. Mm -hmm. So I decided to create a body of work. Actually, there's 70 pieces, 70 pieces oh. in this um, exhibit. And I was seeking to show a contemporary version of saints because saints have been done throughout religious history. We look at them, we're bored, or we don't know the stories anymore. What can I do to reinvent this genre in a new and different way? And I'm still exploring it. I certainly haven't come to the end at all. But like one concept, Mary Magdalene, we know, was the first woman to appear when Jesus, uh, after the resurrection. And I thought, she's a first responder. <laughs> <laughs> and so I created a, a contemporary woman, first responder. But then the, the, the problem is, how do you show that this particular individual who she is? Because in religious traditions, there were certain motifs. For instance, with St. Lucy, since her eyes were gouged out, she's traditionally shown with her palms out, holding her eyeballs. Mm 
Now, who would ever relate to something as gruesome as that? <laughs> so I had to think of things in a different way. So with Mary Meglin, the only thing that really identifies her is her name tag, which you know, people, first responders would have, her last name, Magdalene. <laughs> <laughs> and she looks like such a gutsy uh, woman. I mean, you would want to play tennis with her. I mean, she's <laughs> dynamic and fun, and she's got kind of tousled red hair. And, uh, you know, I got done. I thought, you know, I like this lady. And I was originally going to do a halo around her that showed images from art history long ago, showing Mary Meglin as the... Uh, the woman, uh, fallen woman, or all the different stereotypes that we think of Mary Meglin. I thought, no, just let her face be there. And some people will get it, Mary Meglin, the first responder, and those who don't get it, well, they're probably not even looking at that type of artwork anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so with Lucy, um, I chose a contemporary teenager whose uh, hands are covering her eyes. Uh -huh. And in the background, there are eyes, just the eyeballs, that uh -huh. are peering either at us looking at her or sadistically looking at her being tortured, a woman who could not see. And she is wearing gloves that are red because they're mm -hmm. drenched with blood, but they're monogrammed, St. Lucy. <laughs> so that's how I interpreted in primary colors of red blue and yellow oh my goodness so is this exhibit still available to see yes it will be probably throughout january and okay. i i will say that i'm looking for more venues to show uh this type of work it's not easy um not sure. you know secular galleries aren't generally uh interested but some might be and i would like to create more of an interest in reinterpreting these ideas and concepts and i would really welcome other artists to come on board and start a conversation about it mm -hmm. you um uh where just tell our, our listeners for those who might be in chicago where the catholic uh, theological union is if they don't know it's in hyde park and they do have parking that's connected with the building the idea with the catholic theological union is that at one point uh, the Jesuits and the Franciscans and all these different orders would train their own priests. Well, there aren't enough priests with any one order, so they contribute money to the Catholic Theological Union, which um, offers advanced religious uh, education for both um, uh, lay people and religious people. Mm -hmm. And and Marcia, is um, is your book triptych? Is it published? Yes, it's published through Amazon. Now that was another journey, a very, very long journey. I started about the age of 25, seeing that I'm a fiction writer and I would do manuscript after manuscript. And, and then I started my magazine, Christianity Arts, and that consumed about eight years of my life till it closed in 2001. But in the process, I met a very, very gifted editor, Sophia Starnes. And so I worked with her for years on fiction and finally hit upon this concept and idea that was very interesting to me. Uh, in the medieval times, there was a proliferation of statues of the Virgin Mary in very dark wood, and they became called 
the Black Virgins. Now, um, they were not commissioned by the official church. They are not beautiful works of art. They're rather crudely made. They were often found in riverbeds or plains or meadows, um, often sites that were um, perhaps known at one point to worship Mother Earth. So there's a very interesting continuation of concept there. And they became associated with miracles, uh, mainly by the peasants. And at one time, there were hundreds and hundreds. Many have disappeared, but some of them are still uh, quite popular and well-known. One of them that I saw that started my journey is uh, in Rocamadour, France. So I was thinking, how could I come up with a story about this? And I ended up with three women's stories going backward in time. That kind of interests me because I saw a playwright that started his play with the idea of a couple breaking up and then each scene went back to the point when they first met. Mm. And isn't that like our memory? I mean, mm. most history, historical novels start at a certain point and then move forward, but that's not our memory. We do go back in time mm -hmm. and we look at things differently. So I started in... Uh, right before World War I in Belgium, the, the statue is there in a chapel. Uh, we meet a lace maker who is assaulted by a German soldier, and the statue figures into the story. And then from that story, we learned that it actually came from Spain. And the second character is a nun, uh, somewhat inspired by St. Teresa of Avila, who is critical of the Inquisition, stores her secret notes of criticism in the niche inside the statue. And then we learn more that the statue actually came from France. And so then I invented a woman, I felt a woman who had made this statue. And that was the hardest story. Why would she make this statue? And, and you know, since women weren't included in guilds, how can I possibly credibly create this story and that took a long time to figure out <laughs> wow how many pages is it <laughs> uh it's not too long but boy when you write you think it's forever yeah <laughs> it takes so much and it went through so many revisions um i think it's about uh about 275 pages uh-huh okay and it and it's available on amazon that's great and marcia i'm making a list of I'm so, i was gonna say i'm making a list of uh of friends that I know would be extremely interested in your book. So thank you. <laughs> well, thank you so much. You know, publishing has changed so much. And by the time you actually finish a novel, it's the publishing world has already changed. And it never was easy to get an agent. I was not able to get an agent for the book. And I presume because it's an unusual topic and um, it, it's a literary novel and if you don't have the right context, it's, it's really, really hard. On the plus side, though, because of Amazon um, that's publishing on demand, your listeners can conceive of something really, really original and get it published. And the thing is, you can almost say it's a celebration of creativity because you don't have to follow within the, the strict restrictions of what is going to sell which we all know can be sort of gloomy when you look at the <laughs> what the subject matters are out there. Um, you could do something really creative. Now, 
it's hard to get a market for it. But nonetheless, there will be some people who will appreciate what you're doing. And I think that's a cause for celebration. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. You know, when I was in, I believe it was in Spain, we went to a monastery somewhere outside of Barcelona, and there was a Black Madonna. And yes, and we, we got to... Um, to touch it and, and look at it. And, um, and there were just lines of people waiting to, to go through and see it. Uh, it was, it was fascinating because of, of course, it's, it was so out of what we knew to be the norm. Yes. Yes. And it probably wasn't a pretty statue in a traditional sense, I'm guessing. Uh, no, it was not. It was not. Right. Yeah. Fascinating. So, uh, you know, I asked you a question. We, we ask a lot of uh, our guests this question about aging. And really, you're too young. You're, you're 71 to even think oh, about aging you. too much. <laughs> <laughs> and yet you have created a philosophy of life called HEAL. Tell us about that. Yeah, so I just had a birthday. And, uh, you know, when you have those birthdays, you think, okay, what can I do better in my life? Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, let's just get it down to something I can remember, okay? Because memory gets to be kind of a problem after a while. So let's use the word heal. And, of course, it could have the, the negative connotation, he's a heel, H-E-E-L, but also the positive, H-E-A-L. And so H, for me, of course, was happiness. But how do you achieve that? And so I tried to break down the compo components of happiness. One, of course, is health and doing what we can to keep ourselves healthy, eating right, which I don't certainly do, but I try, <laughs> and, and exercise, which I do pretty well. And the other thing is acceptance of yourself, where you are right now. And that is so difficult. And I wish I could say I've mastered it. I have not. Every day of my life, I get up and thinking, if I were 10 pounds slimmer, how life would be better. <laughs> so those are the two components of H. And then the next one, E, I was thinking of e, e, um, equilibrium because as we get older, of course, falling is a concern physically, but equilibrium in terms of taking care of yourself, taking care of your spouse and or family, um, having societal concerns, it, it is a balance. And that's hard to achieve. I mean, one week it might all be about yourself. The next week it might all be about someone who's suffering. But hopefully over a period of time, it's not too one or one way. Because if you can't take care of yourself, you know, you can't take care of anybody else. Mm -hmm. so it's a balance in life. And mm -hmm. then A, of course, for arts, which is so important to me, and that is rooted in creativity, either um, artistic, visual arts, or writing. And the last is learning. And I think that's a big component for all of us every day, learning something new, how exciting that is, whether it's on the computer or experiential or trying a different route home that you ever did or uh, trying to new friends and, you know, just getting out of the comfort level and, and uh, expanding your horizons every day. So that is what I'm hoping will be my mantra during my 70s. 80s, I don't know. I'll come up with something new. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is really good. I think you should write a little book about this, about heal. 
<laughs> because all of the things that you mentioned are absolutely important ingredients for living life to the fullest as you, uh, you know, as you reimagine aging throughout the years. So, yeah. Okay. So uh, then you, you decided to start thinking about aging when you were, when you were creating art, right? Well, actually, when I was a young lady, I could imagine myself as an old lady. And I think when I was a little girl, I remember visiting my mom in the hospital and going by the store and there was a very, very old lady and she had a doll next to her. Obviously, you know, she had dementia, but she had her comforting doll and it absolutely scared me. And I thought to myself, well, what will I be as an old lady? How will I look? What will, you know, what will it be like? And I had a sense then that even as, um, a person, a young lady in my 20s, that I had this old person in me, but that the old person would also have the young person. And I did a, a painting in which um, it's, uh, it has to do with dementia, in which the title is, uh, she has memory problems and everybody knows it. And it shows a woman um, who is looking a little sheepish. And her um, dress is collaged photographs from my background. And behind her, there's a curtain as if she's been closed off. But behind the curtain, I put a picture of myself when I got my uh, first communion and even a younger one. And one time when I was in counseling, I told my counselor about this. And she had the greatest question. She says, well, if what does that old lady say to the little girl? And what does the little girl say to the old lady and i knew instantly that the old lady said to the little girl don't be afraid mm -hmm. because we have so many fears when we're little and the little girl said to the older woman i'm so proud of you mm -hmm. and that's what i'd like to hold when it comes to aging that it's that we are still young we have that within us and we we are not separated from ourselves by age i think that's what they mean when when we talk about wisdom the wisdom of experiences we are all those things as we age and that's what makes us have value to give back uh, because we have all those experiences, you know, wrapped up inside of us. And, and, you know, you could, from your, from your standpoint, visually, I could almost picture a, a baby, then a little girl, then a, then a teenager, then a, a young adult and, and onward. And, and this, this, uh, older person is just made up of all of these, uh, ages and, and people. Yeah. We may look on the outside as an older lady, mm -hmm. but we have all this personifications within us. And how rich is that? How lucky we are. I mean, you think you're, if you're 16, how much do you have? Well, you only have 16 years. That's not much. <laughs> we have all these other personifications within us that we can draw upon for experience and, and, uh, wisdom yes yes that's a, a great thing to say to a younger person 
so that they can look forward to all the different stages of, of their lives. I think each stage has something wonderful to, to bring to you. It, I have a question, if I might, uh, from Marsha. Uh -huh. And it, it goes back to what you said about your experience in the uh, Democratic Republic of the Congo, about people, one of the things you saw was that people were, the, you said the immediacy of experience. And I experienced that recently when I was visiting a, a particular community in Jamaica. And, and so that immediacy of experience, and then contrast that to what you just talked about in terms of we have these multiple personifications of ourselves. We are this accumulation of our experience. Do, do you, is there any conflict there? Is there anything about as we accumulate so much experience that we either become more aware of our immediate or we become less aware? What a great observation. Yeah, I think, you know, they say the idea of gratitude and satisfaction with life is to live in the present that you're totally content and happy um, with who and what you are and what you possess. But to come to that contentment, I think it's only because we have experienced so much and seen so much that we can come to this, re uh, this realization that what we need to do now is to center on exactly the present. Uh, we can't change the past. I mean, who hasn't regretted and, and wish they could turn the clock back and do something else? And, and the future, well, you know, it's tentative. You know, these days it's, it's a reminder almost every day with the natural disasters and the crime and whatever, and, you know, you know, it's not promised to us. All we, I think it was in that one funny movie with the panda or whatever it was, some about that the present is um, a gift and that's why they call it a present. <laughs> so I'm not quoting that very well, but that's right. But but you're absolutely right. Um, uh, there is a conflict there, and we do live within that um, um, that gray area. Um, all of us do. Mm -hmm. Well, tell us, uh, tell our listeners how they can see your artwork. Do you have a gallery? Um, I have a website, which is just my name, www.marshawhitney, not related to the famous Whitney's in the East Coast, but Whitney, W-H-I-T-N-E-Y, and then hyphen, and my my husband's name is uh, pronounced Skank. Uh, it's a Dutch name, but it looks like Shank, and it's S-C-H-E-N-C-K, so sort of an unusual combination of of that and um, yeah, so I have uh, quite a few of my pieces up there on the the website. Marsha Wonderful. Whitney. Mm -hmm. Yes, thank you for asking. Um, Marsha Whitney Shank .com. Wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, that's great. A any last remarks you'd like to make, Marsha? Hmm. You know, I was listening to the radio and uh, they had people recording their their Christmas wishes. And there was this one woman who got on and said, don't give up on your dreams. Don't let it. Yeah, you're going to come. I don't know. She must have been a life coach or something. She was so enthusiastic. And, you know, at sometimes you do have to say, well, this is not going to be happening. I need to do something else with my life or whatever. But I think it's the enthusiasm behind it. Um, that we can't can't lose 
um, despite the pain and mm-hmm. seeming despair in the world. Um, I, I think we are people of hope and we can change um, the world for better day in, day out, even if it's just a small smile. Thank you. I, I, I don't, we can't afford to give up on that idea at all. Mm-hmm. Well, on that note, thank you so much for being our guest today. Thank yes. you, Gail and Catherine. Thank you, Marcia. And listeners, please subscribe to our podcast and leave a review wherever you listen. And also visit our website, womenover70.com, and easily access all of our episodes. Become a member in the Women Over 70 Aging Reimagined Circle and enjoy programming beyond the podcast. See you next Wednesday on Women Over 70 Aging Reimagined. <laughs>